Welcome to Adoption Conversations, a safe place to talk everything adoption. My name is Paola and I'm a mother of two through adoption and birth. In this podcast, I'm hoping to collect several experiences of people who got in touch with this world, spread useful information and raise awareness about all sides of adoption. Welcome to episode 5 of Adoption Conversations. Uh, I'm your host, Paola, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Hayley Radke from Canada, adult adoptee and host of one of my favorite podcasts, Adoptees On. So welcome, Hayley. Thank you so much, Paola. It's so good to be with you, and thank you for those gracious words. That's very kind. Thank you so much for joining. I'm really honored that you found the time and you're willing to share your story uh, and for once being on the other side of the podcast as an interviewee <laughs> yes yes you've turned the tables it's good it's good. yes I don't know how I pulled that off <laughs> somehow you said yes <laughs> yeah so maybe would you like to start by sharing with your our audience a little bit of your story and how adoption entered your life Absolutely. So I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and relinquished right as an infant. So my first mother and father were teenagers. So my mom was, I think she was just about 16. So she was 15 when she had me. And then my dad was just a couple years older. So I was adopted by the, in the public system. Uh, my adoptive parents were um, infertile. They struggled for many years trying to conceive, and then they waited seven years on the uh, adoption list. And so they were delighted to adopt me, and they were both elementary school teachers. And so they adopted me from the city and we moved up to Northern Alberta. <laughs> now you'd think I am, I do live in a very, very cold place, but even further North than where I am right now. And so I grew up there in a very small Mennonite community. So very small religious uh, town, con- very conservative. And I was the only child that my parents adopted. They were 38 and 40 and, um, So they were already getting older and they waited for seven years and they just felt if they waited another seven to adopt again, that that just wasn't, you know, a feasible thing. So yeah, I grew up as an only child and always wondered about my first parents. And when I was 18, I applied for my non-identifying information, which was all Alberta would um, give at the time. And so that included just very brief details um, about my mother and father. And yet I hung on to every word. My mother was a reader and I was like, oh my gosh, me too. And just things like that. And then just a couple years later, Alberta opened the adoption record. So I was able to apply and get my I was going to say my full record, but that's not true. There's still things that are redacted and I still do not have access to my original birth certificate, um, which means my birth certificate has my adoptive parents' names on it, um, uh, which is common for many adoptees. Anyway, my birth mother's name was in that file. So was my father's name. And I was able to find her because her parents still lived at the very same address that was in my paperwork 20 plus years later. 
Uh, so I had a brief reunion with her. It lasted about four months um, until she cut off contact. And then about seven years ago, I found my dad on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of a funny thing. I remember when I first saw his name in my paperwork, I thought this is a super common name. How am I ever going to find him? Um, but really his last name isn't very common. And so I had just been rifling through old paperwork and I was like, Oh, I should just, you know, look it up. And so I looked up his name on Facebook and there he was. So I sent him a message I thought was fairly innocuous. Did you go to high school at this same time, time period? Um, and he's like, oh yeah, why do you ask? And so I was like, well, <laughs> um, anyway, he, I, I, I told him who my birth mother was and I said, I think that you're the other half of that. And And then I didn't hear back for a couple of months. And when I tell that, most people are like, oh my gosh, what were you thinking during that time? Did you think that's it? You're not going to hear back from him. But that wasn't really the case for me. I, I don't know what it was. I just sort of put it to the side and I, I didn't really consider. And then a couple of those months passed and he said, yes, I'm the other half. And we started our reunion. And so I have three younger half siblings. And so right now their ages are between 16 and 21. And they live in the province right next to Alberta. So BC, we are an hour and a half plane ride away or a 12 hour drive away. And I do see them very regularly. Um, we've had a really beautiful reunion with lots of ups and downs, but I am in, um, a really close relationship, especially, uh, with my dad. Wow. (laughs) This is quite a story. (laughs) Yeah. So that's where I am. (laughs) So what does it mean in practice? If I may ask, like, um, do you do you get to spend like um holidays together like how regular is your uh, how regularly do you see each other mm-hmm. well in the first couple of years of our reunion i would travel there quite a bit meaning almost every other month and um that was before i had children and also in the honeymoon stage. So you're really getting to know each other. There's just this desperate desire for contact. And so it was very, very frequent. And now that I've had kids, it's a lot more difficult for, and expensive, of course, to travel there. So what's sort of become the norm is we see them in person, like the whole family, probably once or twice a year. Um, we have gone on, um, their, their family tradition is to go camping in the mountains once a year. So we usually go and join them on that trip. And then, uh, recently my dad has actually come to my city more frequently because his mom is quite, pardon me, his mom is quite ill. And so he will come to visit her and then he'll stay with us and spend time. So, um, we, I, probably see each other five or six times a year. Um, but 
probably only once or twice as a whole family, including my siblings. And now I said their ages as well. So, you know, they're young adults and they've got lots of stuff going on as well. So I'm seeing them less because they're, you know, working or doing school stuff and, and all that. Uh, but my dad and I text, um, every weekend and we do a couple phone calls a month and, uh, my kids love to FaceTime with him and his wife and this Grammy and Poppy <laughs> to my kids. And so, yeah, that's sort of what reunion kind of looks like for me. Did your adoptive family accept that support that you do during this phase of, or what's your feeling? Uh, when I first applied for my records, uh, my parents were, you know, kind of positive and, um, they were positive in my relationship with my birth mom, but my, my mom was very concerned that I was going to get hurt, um, which I did. And so later on, I actually was talking with my dad and had, been in reunion with him for, gosh, I want to say it could have been a month or two before I told them. And so I think they were a lot more cautious second time around because I was so hurt the first time. And yet they were, you know, happy for me that I was getting answers that I had always wanted. And my parents have actually met my, um, my dad and his family um, on a couple of different occasions. Uh, my mom even sends them Christmas cards. <laughs> so they have some communication that's even outside of me, which really weirds me out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so to my face, they've always been quite positive about it. Yeah, that sounds very good. And as a parent, probably also you as a parent, I, I can relate to the being very worried mostly. Yeah, <laughs> that must have been a roller coaster for all of you. Mm-hmm. But it's yes. yeah, it's very positive to hear that you had a healthy reunion with your with your father. And I mean, I don't I don't want to gloss over the hard stuff because you know we had a good. This is very typical. So the reunion roller coaster, all the stages of reunion. Um, so the, in the honeymoon phase, it was really easy, but it's so overwhelming and all consuming. And you just want to get to know about each other so much, um, to the detriment of your other relationships. And then when I first had my, um, my first son, um, Isaiah, so he's five now. Um, so we were sort of in this transition period of, okay, so what is, um, what is my dad's place in my son's life? Is he, he's a, he's a grandfather, you know? And so I was expecting him to be, you know, just one more grandpa and to act like, you know, my adoptive parents act around my, my kids and, and my in-laws act. And so it's, it was a big, hard transition for him and his wife to see themselves as deserving of that role as grandparent. And that really spurred us into a very difficult time. And we did a lot of counseling together, um, my, me and my husband and my dad and his wife. Um, we had a couple different sessions and I was in intensive therapy during that time. 
And we had to work through a lot of stuff. And so that could have easily broken our relationship and we could have easily walked away, but we worked through it. And so I don't want to sugarcoat it that this seven years has been a cakewalk. It has not. It's been a lot of hard work. And so the resulting happy reunion (laughs) that where I am today is because of that hard work. It's really good that you say, and I think you should take some, you and your family should take really positive credit for the fact, for instance, of going into therapy. I I don't think everybody would do that, you know, this kind of active, positive reaction. But it's very good that you say that it took time and hard work because, yes, we don't want to, you know, tell any fairy tale or anything like that. Yeah. And do you feel... Do you feel that you sort of brought your expectations into this relationship sort of did you think you were did you accumulate expectations or like some I don't know picture in your head of how this relationship should have been in in the time in time and then when it actually the reunion actually happened did you bring all this baggage into that or how would you describe it maybe I don't know if this is a good picture that I'm giving. I'm trying to imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I first was in reunion with my, um, my first mother, I had pictures of, we are just going to be best friends and we're just going to find out everything about each other and we're going to make up for lost time. And then when it was like in the moment, it didn't really look like that. And she, she wanted more from me than, than I could give. And sometimes I wanted more from her than she could give. And I remember during that time I used to, um, I I worked at my university's library. So I requested every book about adoption reunion and all the academic papers and research I could get my hands on. And so much of it, I can't remember the stat at this moment, but it was like staggering to me that it was nearly all reunions fail basically. And I, I said to this to her and I was like, can you believe this? Well, this isn't going to be us. And, you know, I was just so uh, naive and I didn't understand the intense emotional um, task we were taking on in building this relationship, basically from nothing but a genetic connection in that time. So um, it was nothing like I expected. And then anticipating a reunion pardon me, with my dad, I, I think I just didn't expect anything. I I think I came into it with like holding it very loosely and not thinking that I was going to get this amazing relationship, um, and friendship, um, with him and now, and my siblings and his wife, like they're just incredible people. And, I, I held that so loosely that I think it was a lot easier for me the second time around. I see. How, how did uh, being adopted affected your identity in, in years, in the years growing up or as an adult, how would you describe it? I have always had a sense of, not knowing who I am and where I belong in this world. I never felt fully that I fit in my family. And I 
you know, I alluded to the community I was living in, um, in Northern Alberta. So it was this really small Mennonite community. Um, they, they spoke low German and which is, it's a Mennonite dialect and I didn't. And so it was kind of like, if you're in this town, you're either Mennonite or you're a teacher's kid. (laughs) And so I also grew up with that dynamic. So I felt excluded and like I didn't belong on top of that. Um, you know, the, the, the narrative that so many adoptees are told over and over with words or without is that you should be grateful you were adopted. And in truth, when, when I hear your mother loved you so much, she gave you up. That means to me in my spirit, and I still battle this uh, almost daily, there is a sense of unworthiness. Like what was wrong with me that my own mother didn't want me and she gave me away to strangers. And so that dichotomy about thinking I'm so unworthy and yet she gave you to, you know, to people to love you and take care of you. You should be grateful is this, it's so intense and it, I feel like no one can understand that in the third adopted. I I don't, I, I don't think, I can't think of another situation like that where I'm expected to say, thank you for giving me to strangers. It's just like this bizarro world. And so that has deeply affected my identity, deeply affected my sense of self-worth and my ability to love myself and, you know, think like, oh, you're a good person in this world. Like that is a challenge for me every day, even now. I see. And, and, as a parent, as an adoptive parent, I, I want to ask you, since you mentioned that, what could I tell my child? Because, yeah, I don't want to build the fairy tale like your mother, you know, loved you so much or so. But how would you put it? In other, or, I don't know, how would you help an adopted child to process what happened without sugarcoating it? This is a very hard question. I'm sorry I'm putting this on you. But just just as a personal advice, since you mentioned that. It is a very difficult question. And I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Um, I have been, you know, really frank with you and with my listeners that I'm just so passionate about family preservation because adoptees do live this very challenging inner life. And so I think the, the stories that we tell our children about where they, you know, my kids, you know, they, my son just got stitches on Monday. (laughs) So we were at the same hospital where he was born. And so he was like, I was born here, you know, and there was just this, you know, connection. Like we just want to know where we came from. And I think sometimes when adopted children are asking their adoptive parents about their origins, um, this, kind of thing where we say, oh, you grew in mommy's heart. You know, um, I find that so difficult to swallow because it's, 
it's, it's just, it's passing over the hard stuff. And I mean, I'm not a developmental psychologist. I don't know at what age children are able to process these complex emotions, but I think talking to them as straightforward as you can from a very young age and understanding that your birth parents, even if they're not here, they are, you know, valuable people. Um, you know, we don't want to say anything negative about them in any light, even if they are, um, you know, even if they were abusive or, you know, what, what are the, the myriad of reasons that people give for, well, this adoption is an ethical thing, you know, like even if they were abusive or, um, had a, a drug addiction of some kind, anything negative you say about, um, a child's origins, that's going to sit with them. And they're like, okay, so I'm bad too. So I think avoiding those things and we're talking about positive, there is always something positive you can say about, um, a child's first parents. I just truly believe that. And so I don't exactly know how to answer your question specifically. Like, I don't think there's one, one or two sentences you could, you know, say to a child and they're like, okay, I'm fixed. You know, it's not, it doesn't work like that. Of course, you know that it's more complex. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, really hard. And, and there's, you kind of, um, went near that. There's also the problem of being age appropriate, um, so I think at, at least that's that's one thing I find uh, as a practical difficulty that, yeah, trying to it, filter it without lying. Uh, it is. Age appropriate is is critical. And yet I just people cannot use that as an excuse. You know, I've talked to adoptees. I mean, we've got late discovery adoptees, right? They, you know, they don't find out till they do a DNA test. I mean, come on. Like, what year is this? But even talking to adoptees who found out when they're 10, really? I mean, that that's ridiculous. I always knew I was adopted. It just should not be a surprise to your child that they are adopted. You know, it shouldn't be a shameful thing. It should be talked about regularly. And they should know that they have the space to discuss it in your home. And, and not that you're like, uh-oh, you know he's bringing it up again, you know, it shouldn't hurt your feelings. Like it's normal to know. It's normal to want to know where you came from. It's just normal. <laughs> I, I, I cannot agree more. I, I, I may be being naive, but I want to believe that, uh, say our, in our parents' generation being adopted was still, I don't want to say socially unacceptable, but you know, a social you know it, it was like kind of an issue like a very delicate issue it was maybe even hard to admit maybe it was some sort of stigma I want mm-hmm. to believe that for our generation this is absolutely not true anymore maybe I'm being naive <laughs> I don't know but oh I hope I hope you're right I hope you're right I, and I, I think I think the stigma really a big part of it is there's so many people were infertile you know infertility was a big push for a reason to adopt and so there I don't understand that I've not experienced that I have some friends that have walked that road and it's very challenging and difficult um so I I can understand just a very small piece of that and yet there 
there's this shame, like I can't even make a baby. Like we're humans, like, isn't that supposed to just happen? Um, so I think part of hiding that your child was adopted was covering up that, you know, whatever biological failure and, you know, in quotation marks, please hear those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You may be right. And I'm, I'm really, that also should be more accept, acceptable uh, now, I guess. Maybe even with fertility treatments. At least people, I think, you know, suffer suffer from it. I also have no direct experience, but I, I try to imagine that, yes, like if you feel your, your body is supposed to do something and they don't do it, I guess it affects your um, identity, sense of self, self-esteem. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But in a way, I think we may be more open about it. So I'm really hoping that in this generation that there won't be any secret with adoptees. Because if you keep it a secret, it's sort of you're implying it is shameful, isn't it? Mm. That's at least, I don't know, it sounds so trivial to me. But yeah, let's hope this is, you know, a thing of the past. Yeah, and, but it's really good that that we mention it. I think so that people can reflect if they are even considering it. Yeah, uh, I have a hard question for you. Um, <laughs> Harder than <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope it's okay. Not a... Okay. Um, so we've been talking about um, how being adopted uh, influenced your sense of self, and I wonder, um, did something change when you became a parent, and how? What changed for me was when I first um, gave birth to my son, Isaiah. So he's five years old. I received him in my arms. And the first thing I thought was, how could anyone give away a baby? And that I think really cracked open something in me where I really understood all the losses that adoption means. Um, I'm sorry if I get <laughs> Is it lame if we both cry? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That must have been tough. It was, I don't think it was really, um, I don't want to say it was difficult. It was just this new stage in just being really aware of what adoption has meant in my life. And so I have a deep sense of empathy for my first mother who is not able for whatever reason to be in relationship with me. And I also understand, you know, you're just talking about, well, you know, we're in a, we're in a different era of parenting. And I also understand the, you know, social construction constructs at the time. I mean, I was born, um, you know, past baby scoop era. I was born in 83, but still teen pregnancy was, you know, shameful and, you know, just people didn't keep their babies. Like it just was a thing. Adoption was just so common. So I understand that. Um, and yet I have this struggle 
in my head where I'm like, well, what about her parents? What were my grandparents doing? Thinking, oh, we should give our grandchild away to strangers, you know? Um, so of course I'm speaking to all of these things from a perspective of, you know, an infant adoption. And so I know that not all of your listeners will be, you know, from in that experience. Um, but I mean, reconciling being a parent and, and just the, um, way I love my children and I love being a mother and, and yet I don't think it is something that, um, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. Like my, my adoptive mom, when she found out I was pregnant, she was really excited and she wanted to know so much about my body and what was happening to me. And as I mentioned before, I mean, she struggled with infertility. They were never able to conceive a child's um, biologically theirs. And so she was really sort of living this, you know, vicariously through me. And that was a very challenging for me. And I really struggled with that. And yet I did see just her heart's desire was to, you know, be a parent and now she's getting to be a grandparent. Um, so I, I do understand more of the adoptive parent, um, viewpoint just from my mom's eyes, I guess. Um, I don't know if that fully answers sort of what you were looking at for that question, but, um, it's, it's hard to express like what has changed in me, um, versus by becoming a parent versus having my eyes open to the world of adoption, corruption and child trafficking and adoption trauma and all of these pieces that sort of, I didn't really know about <laughs> and yet have affected me. Is that part of what you call, uh, coming out of the fog? Mm. Yes, absolutely. So that's a term that, um, I, I did a whole episode about it with a therapist on my show because, you know, we talk about this coming out of the fog and everyone's like, I don't even know. I've never heard of that. I don't know what it means. <laughs> so, um, I do have emails from people saying, I don't know what that is. Can you explain it more? And it, it truly is just coming to that realization that, adoption means more than gaining an adoptive family. It means you lost your first family, you lost your genetic connection, you lost mirroring of uh, people around you that are related to you and look like you and sound like you. You lost a relationship with them. So much loss. And it's just getting a realistic picture of the whole truth and not just that nice fairy tale message that we hear about adoption. Oh, there's an orphan and now they have a family. Hooray. That's yeah. not all there is. And do you think this is the most spread out rhetoric, say, in Canada? Yes, I do. I still, on a daily basis, see an adoptee saying something about their longing for a connection with their first family or 
just expressing some sort of um, discomfort or disillusionment or just anything that is alludes to a loss. And someone will come and comment and say, Oh, but look at all the stuff you gained. Oh, your, or oh, your your birth mother chose life. She didn't abort you, or, you know, just anything like that. And it's like, can I just not say that I miss my birth mother without you saying that to me? Like it's 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 crazy to me. Like I I don't even know what to say about it. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Like in any other situation. So I think of, um, you know. If your mother passed away, if your mother died, would people not say to you, I'm just, I'm so sorry about the passing of your mother, you know, and a couple years down the road, if you say, oh, Christmas just isn't the same without mom, you know, I'm sort of feeling that blue Christmas kind of situation. No one will come and say to you, really? Like, just think of all the time you had with her. Like, you should be happy. Like, think of your memories. Like, no one says that. Like, grieving the loss, like, a a death is acceptable, but grieving a loss and adoption is not socially acceptable. Yeah, that's true. Can I ask you, like, um, maybe maybe let me explain why I want to ask you this first. Um, Of course, being an adoptive parent, I navigate a lot of adoptive parent communities online, mostly. And I, I, I have the feeling there's a lot um, of talking of, of trauma and sort of coexisting with the, you know, the joy of adoption, meaning like you, 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 like you have your child, you're, you, know, you become a parent of this child and, and you even have your small achievements or, uh, of working on their maybe behavioral issues and, and trying to support them. And at the same time, coexisting with, the awareness of of loss of of the wounds that the, that this child might have from adoption. So, I, I feel I don't know. I hear it every day. On the other hand, so my question is: Is your feeling that this um, sort of denying happens mostly from people who, you know, external from adoption, just random people, or do you think the issue still stands strong? also in the adoptive parents community. I'm I'm sorry to report to you. I do believe it is strongly in the adoptive parent community. And so I think there's an, a lot of adoptive parents that have adopted an older child and or adopted um, internationally, which usually means a bit of an older child, and perhaps they were in an institution at, at some point, um, like an orphanage. And so I think trauma in that sense, in adoption trauma, is becoming more recognized. And so talking about um, dealing with a, a child that is is traumatized by adoption because they were institutionalized or maybe were in a few different foster homes um, prior to their permanent placement, and that is acceptable. And people talk about that and acknowledge that. And they're working on, just as you said, some behavioral things, like let's conquer this behavioral milestone. And, you know, um, but infant adoption is still seen as blank slates, which is ludicrous 
to me. It's absolutely ludicrous. And so while um, I have talked to therapists who have explained to me the uh, other issues that sort of compound on top of that, which we just talked about being institutionalized or just, you know, having more than one placement, um, there's still trauma either way. It just, it is either way. And so when I've seen adoptive parents, um, oh gosh, God bless Twitter, but on Twitter, adoptive parents will say things like, oh my gosh, she saved my life. I didn't save her. She saved my life. I'm like, you can't say that. Do you know the pressure you're putting on your child to live up to this now? So I don't think that there is an understanding of, you know, I, I hope that in your communities that you're engaged with, I mean, I know you're saying that you do see people talking about that, but I hope that understanding expands. Um, but because Infant adoption, for-profit adoption still exists in this world. There cannot be a true understanding of adoption trauma by adoptive parents because they are still lining up to adopt babies that if their mother had the proper supports, she could parent. That's that's really good feedback. And um, I am not familiar with infant adoption. That's a word that, in a way, it's cut off my life we were not even allowed uh here because we we adopted as experts in finland so we were immediately automatically cut off uh from domestic adoption so as you say international adoption doesn't you know cover infant adoption but i i kind of relate to what you say because i also have the feeling now that you mention it that yeah many people think that it's adopting an infant is like they're just tabula rasa, right? Blank yes. uh, state, as you say. So they can build on that. But yeah, I, I, I even I <laughs> can understand that that's <laughs> wrong. I mean, I understand, especially if you are open about adoption, so that they grow up to, to know they are adopted, they will yeah. anyway have questions and have this feeling of loss and something, some piece missing. So, I well, think, if if yeah. I can give you just one more comment on that, yes. the, what. What I think is so, I like, I cannot wrap my mind around this. So you see people who are, pre- who are expecting, so they're pregnant and you're like, okay, make sure you're eating all these healthy foods and don't eat X, Y, Z and play your baby, this music in the womb. And they hear your voice and know your voice. And there's just this, this, um, entirely, amazing connection between mother and baby. And, you know, when they're born, it's the fourth trimester, they call it now. And, you know, like, (laughs) and so, so we, as a society, we believe all those things, right? Like, this is the way we live. This is the way we talk to pregnant women. And yet here's, here's the baby freshly born here, give them to strangers. And that's cool. Like, (laughs) it's just like, how, how do you not know that this baby is going to miss their mother? It, it's like, it's completely opposite messages. So I don't know how to teach people that. I don't know how to help the world understand that we are not blank slates. We do miss our mothers. 
And like, it's lifelong. Like I still think about what's wrong with me that my mother gave me away. Yeah, you're so right. And yeah, it makes totally sense. I also think life doesn't start when you're out of the womb. As you say, I I experienced pregnancy with my first child. So even if you experience that, you know for a fact that your child can recognize your smell, uh, sound from instant zero. So I think this is this is good ground for reflection for whoever is listening and is waiting to adopt or has adopted an infant. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, let me see what I wanted to ask you more. Uh, I see. I would love to. <laughs> maybe we should do an interview too. <laughs> I, I would love to talk so much more about it, uh, but I feel time is a little bit running out. So maybe shall we break this and sort of jump to resources? Like you have okay. resource time in your uh, great podcast. So can you recommend your favorite adoption-related resource? Well... Um, of course I am biased toward the adoptee view. And so I think anything that allows adoptees to speak freely about their experiences is the best thing ever (laughs) for adoptive parents to, uh, read and learn from. And so, um, in addition to my show adoptees on where I interview, adult adoptees and they share their story much like I did with you. And then we talk about, um, a variety of different experiences that they've had in their life. And, um, Dear Adoption is a favorite website of mine. So it's run by Reshma McClintock and she has adoptees write Dear Adoption letters. And so they will express in any variety of forms. So some are more poetic, some are, uh, like just a letter and some have, um, expressed, you know, both the gratitude and the sorrow. Some have expressed anger. There are international adoptees from multiple countries. There's domestic adoptee voices. There are foster youth voices. So it's a variety of, um, experiences and they are all valid. And I think that's the best thing about Dear Adoption is that all of these experiences can be heard and we can just say, yes, I'm, I'm listening. I'm going to learn from you. And it's so different from the world because as I said earlier, I see almost daily adoptees expressing these feelings of discomfort or not fitting in or a variety of things. And they are over and over again. Really? Well, my cousin is adopted and he didn't have that experience. He's happy. And really? So-and-so is adopted and she didn't. Well, um, these feelings are very personal 
And, um, I don't know about you, but, um, in my life, there's, you know, only a really a few people that I will share my deepest innermost hurts with. So, uh, except until I had a podcast, now everybody knows all my laundry, but, um, <laughs> whoops, <laughs> oops. Um, but you know, for, uh, people that are not, um, I don't want to call myself a public figure. I'm not, uh, but just, you know, normal people day to day, they don't go around with a sign on them saying, uh, I wish I knew where I came from. They don't go around with that sign. So for people to just blanketly say, well, my cousin didn't have that experience. Well, you know what? Like, why don't you take your cousin for a couple hours dinner and really get to know what it meant for them to be adopted? And if he ever wondered if his birth parents thought about him and if he ever wondered, do I look like my birth mother? Like, really get to know them and have a conversation about it and then come back to me and tell me how happy he is. <laughs> like, you know, so I, that's why your adoption is so valuable. It gives adoptees a voice. And that is my passion as well with my show. Yeah. And I subscribe to, to tell that I love dear adoption. As well. Ah, very good. Yeah. It's, it's a great resource and I really appreciated many of the posts. Yeah. I will link it down below for sure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should mention to my listeners also that Haley created a master archive of adoption related resources on her website. Isn't it that, that right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's funny because you said I, on my show, I have recommended resources and, um, people will come and they'll say, Oh, and I have this resource and this and this and this. And so, um, for, I'm just starting to record season four. I've said, listen, I need you to just pick one because <laughs> it's so nice when we get to talk about it and really describe what it is. So we're really selling the listener, right? Please go check this out. Um, versus here's 10 things, but like, then there's no interest built. So, um, yes, my list is extensive because some people have mentioned more than one thing. <laughs> um, but that's on adoptizon.com slash resources. And there's articles, there's blogs, there's podcasts, there's, um, adoptee artists, um, that we featured on season three of the show. And there's, uh, hashtags to follow on Twitter. There's a YouTube videos to watch a myriad of things and books, of course, books too. <laughs> yeah. It's a true gold mine. So I will link it down below and you should all check it out and it, it will keep you busy. I can assure you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah, really congratulations for that because it's, it's really excellent work that you've been collecting. Uh. Thank you. I mean, I've, I've brought a few to the table, but it's really my, um, my guests who have provided so many, and I even have listeners emailing in now, um, resources that they would like to hear us talk about in the future. So that's been kind of cool too. So I don't have to always go digging They're They're sending them to me too. Wow. Yeah. That's great to hear. Uh, Haley, I, I think we need to end this interview, unfortunately, but I, I am so grateful that you joined me today and that you shared so much about your personal story. And uh, I, yeah, I asked so many hard questions and you just said yes to 
everything. And I'm really, really hoping this brings some insights to uh, my listeners, whoever they may be, parents or not. Uh, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to elevate the adoptive voice, which um, I just feel is so important. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I also think it's very important. And to my listeners, I say thank you for listening. I will link down below in the episode notes all the resources we talked about today. And until next time, bye. Thank you for listening. Check out the notes of the episode to find and connect with my amazing guests. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and share it. Do you have an adoption story to share? Reach out at www.theelephantmum.com/contact. Thank you.